0: 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Live from London. This is the Sunday Morning Breakfast Show with Sobia Iqbal on Teachers Talk Radio.
1: Good morning. You're listening to Sobia Stella Sunday. It's Sunday, the fifth of June. It's the Jubilee Bank Holiday weekend, and we have the best conversations coming your way. What does a high-quality oracy education look like? Who are the greatest orators and public speakers of all time? And can you debate like a prime minister? It's another thrilling morning. Prepare for takeoff.
0: Live from London, this is the Sunday Morning Breakfast Show with Sovia Iqbal on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live on the Podbean app or desktop player. Just head over to www.podbean.com slash lsw slash ttradio or search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag ttradio.
1: Um, Sarah Lambert is an experienced English teacher and examiner who currently teaches English, Latin and HPQ, EPQ at Dubai College in the United Emirates. Um, She's also responsible for... for a competitive university applications and is a specialist leader in education focusing on Oracy and Harkness. She's also founder of the Dubai Oracy Hub. Sarah champions the use of talk in classrooms to enhance learning and develop students' confidence in using their voices and listening to the views of others. Sarah's MSC research looked at the positive impact of Harkness lessons um, on students' confidence and her MPQSL project focused on embedding Oracy in key stage three lessons across departments. Good morning, Sarah. How are you?
2: Good morning, Serbia. I'm well. I was about to say I'm well. I'm not that well, but I'm here. Um, and thank you so much for inviting me.
1: Thank you very much for coming onto the show, uh, especially under the circumstances that you've come on today. So I really do appreciate that. Now, Sarah. In the 1960s, Andrew Wilkinson, he thought that the ability to express oneself fluently in speech should be given equal status to numeracy and literacy. Um, But we're still not giving priority in schools as much as we could be, um, especially for EAL learners. So can you just explain to everybody uh, in a bit more detail to what I've done, what your background is and what you do?
2: Yes, um, thank you. So, well, as you said, I am a specialist leader in education, which means that at Dubai College, I'm responsible for Harkness um, Learning and Teaching, and that's more in the upper section of the school, um, but oracy across the school. Um, And in that role, it's very much about um, for the last two, three years, we've been really developing an understanding with teachers and students about what oracy is, um, how we can use it more in lessons um, and how students can actually find and develop their voice and more to the point why it's important. Um, Because as you say, you know, despite the fact that um, Andrew Wilkinson sort of used that analogy to literacy and numeracy and and coined the term oracy, um, it is often the forgotten partner, really. Um, And and certainly when I start talking to students and staff about it, I really do uh, rely on James Britton's um, kind of quotation that he said that reading and writing float on a sea of talk. And I think we do lose sight of the fact that actually um, students, when they're very little, I've, I've got two young boys myself in primary school, they talk a lot at that age because they can talk better than they can read and write. And yet as they progress through the education system, and certainly as they enter secondary and then move up through creed stage three and four and five, we just find that those voices dry up, that they become much more um, reticent, I would say, to talk out loud in front of peers. And that's a social and you know teenage thing as well. But I do feel that it gets less of a priority as they move through the education system. And the focus does become very much about examinations and writing and reading. um, And then it does just get forgotten. So my role is very much at the moment um, at Dubai College, really pushing that again and and just making our students aware that actually their reading and writing improve through talk and because of talk. Um, So that's kind of my job um, alongside, as you say, teaching English and English literature and a bit of Latin and and the HPQ, EPQ, um, independent projects, which um, some of your listeners will probably be familiar with, um, we've used that to really drive Oracy as well. So we've got a lot of kind of talk going on there and their presentations at the end. So it's kind of all coming together across the different departments and subjects Phases, um, but really just trying to promote the fact that actually being able to articulate your ideas, being able to listen to others and communicate in response is a skill that probably far outweighs other skills um, for their future, really.
1: Yeah, I mean. When we're talking about oracy, I mean, obviously, um, spoken English improves and there's obviously development in their written English as well, which is what you've just said. But also, um, for someone like me who's in secondary schools, there's the retention of subject-specific knowledge and also the transference of reasoning skills. Um, and I do find, like you said earlier, that students do get a sense of personal and social gain as well, their attitudes towards learning, their enhanced self-esteem, self con confidence, and even a reduction in anxiety as well. And Sarah, the reason why I chose Oracy, um, because it is quite dear to my heart, um, how is it linked to social mobility?
3: right and
2: i think you know absolutely social mobility and and certainly you know of course i'm teaching you know out of the uk right now um but even within our own context and um our own school you really notice that you know some students have that cultural capital to to a certain extent they've come from a background or a family that really champion talk they might be quite gregarious they're quite loud in the classroom but then there are others who just really you know hide in the shadows if that makes sense and you know the the ability to be able to um, articulate what you're thinking, as you said, gives confidence. It actually boosts well being. Um, but also from um, a diversity, equity, and inclusion standpoint, it's really important that actually our students not only learn to develop and you know use their own voices, that empowerment, but actually to hear the voices of others. And and I think from a social mobility perspective, it's very important that students do grow up, you know, being aware that there are alternative viewpoints, that the people who they are living alongside, working alongside, may disagree with them, but that they can articulate the reasons why, they can have a respectful and challenging conversation. And I do feel now that, you know, the socially, globally, there is a lot of fracture. And actually loud voices dominate that aren't necessarily the voices we want to dominate. Um, and I do feel that actually it's not about turning students into performative, you know, really loud showcase speakers. It's more that actually quiet students who might come from a diff- different background, they might have English as their second language, feel that when they need to speak up, when there's something they want to speak out about, they actually are equipped to do so. So it's not necessarily about them becoming you know, the best speaker in the school, but I think from a social mobility perspective, the fact that they know that it's within them, um, that they're not too terrified to speak up, to challenge an ideology that they disagree with, and that actually when the time comes, they are equipped. And, and that's our job as teachers, I feel, to equip them to go out into the world to be beneficial members of society and to be able to respectfully disagree.
1: Yeah, I mean, Sarah, I'm laughing to myself here because I'm remembering an incident in uh, in real life between the Prime Minister and uh, Angela Ray- Rayner. Yeah. And when he, he turned around and said she wasn't good at debating or something like that, and that's made me laugh because I'm sitting here thinking we are going to discuss that later on about debating skills a- and things like that. And I do think it is important because, like you said, you need to be able to articulate um your arguments uh, in a specific manner to get your point across can you explain to us Sarah how have you embedded it within your curriculum and in your classrooms in the college that you're working in
2: yeah so we started our our oracy journey I suppose actually goes back to about 2017-18 so it's sort of four or five years ago and at that point we were very much focused on um, the older students, um, because as part of my, when I first started my master's, um, my first research project was looking at passivity at Key Stage 4. Because as an English teacher, I was really feeling that the students were sitting there and they wanted my views on um, you know of mice and men they wanted to write down what I thought about uh, the articles and pieces they were looking at on the English language paper and, and I got quite frustrated with the fact that they were being very passive in their learning and as a result we looked at Harkness which we probably will talk about in a bit um, as, a, as a pedagogy way of seating students around a single table and getting them to lead the discussions and learning but then the pandemic hit and we probably very much like, you know, your your listeners at home um, were, you know, we were online. We felt that communication um, had shifted. Students were very isolated and they were, you know, they were losing that ability actually to talk to one another. And um, masks didn't help. And and we still in Dubai um, have to wear masks at school. So, our oh, students really? are fully masked. yes, we're fully masked in the classroom. Wow. Um, wow we are only allowed to take masks off outside um, although really noticeably um, in the last couple of weeks here in Dubai um, they don't seem to be enforcing it as much very noticeably in the malls in the in the kind of the public spaces mask wearing is varying so I think there we're hoping we're praying um, that that easing is going to come but in schools it's very much we are still inspected um, almost weekly um, to check that we are still maintaining mask wearing indoors um, and students are still socially distanced. We are having to keep them um, a certain distance apart from one another in the classroom. So with those barriers, when we came back in Mm. 2020, we were really conscious of needing to to get students um, communicating, interacting. So we decided to focus on RSE down at Key Stage 3. That was going to be our initial drive, the idea to bring it up to the work that we've been doing at Key Stage 4 and 5 previously. And so to embed this we we looked around a bit we were trying to think about how we could do this um and um, again some people might be familiar with it we picked up the uh the oracy skills framework which was developed by voice 21 and oris yes. um, cambridge Yes. so yes. we also partnered with oracy cambridge um, last year so we were working with alan howe um, and neil mercer and we kind of made that connection as a school with them and they were guiding us in what we were doing so we took the oracy framework and we decided that in that first year what mattered most to us pastorally as well as academically was the social and emotional strand we felt that actually getting students talking to one another reconnecting and and staff reconnecting with them was our main drive so we spent that year um, really looking at how we could embed um, and social and emotional strand looking at group work pair work trio work Um, and i led a series of cpd sessions at school so that we were all sharing a common language and what we've just done at the moment at the school, we have two drives for teaching and learning. We have Oracy and we have the science of learning. And that goes back to what you were saying about retention and, and kind of yeah. you know kind of cross transference. And so departments at the moment at the school choose which element they want to focus on. So it's about 50-50, half of the departments are focusing on Oracy and the other half are focusing on science and learning. And when they're comfortable, they will switch across. Um, and some are switching as of September. And so within those departments, um, I I created a common set of resources Um, we have Oracy leads in each of the departments and we meet together as an Oracy focus group. And as a group, we sort of looked at um, the Oracy framework. We've created our own rubrics for solo talk and group talk. And that was using um, combining the framework elements, the four different strands and the elements within them, with tools that RC Cambridge had been using, that Neil Mercer had been using um, with um, Lynn Dawes for a lot of their research on um, quality of group talk um, and on uh, solo talk and very much taking away academic grades and making it a bronze, silver, gold idea that students progress. Um, They they give a talk or a presentation or they're doing group talk and you're just listening in and you're kind of um, ticking on a a kind of a rubric sheet and and moving them um, in that progression across. So that was kind of how we did baseline assessments, we created common resources Um, from a science of learning perspective as well, we've really integrated dual coding so that students are very familiar with worksheets and PowerPoints if people use them in their classrooms and that they can see if it's group work, solo work, trio work, they see the icons um, of the physical, cognitive, linguistic and social emotional strands and the talk tactics that Voice21 have developed and we've really rolled those out so students are getting adept at knowing kind of the Tactics they can use in lessons, whether they are summarising, whether they're challenging, whether they're clarifying, instigating, building. So we've really, over two years, embedded um, a common language across subjects.
3: Yeah, and I think that's
2: yeah. really important. You know, I think so often, oracy has been seen as English and drama, um, and that somehow it's been just our sole role because there is still that speaking element at GCSE. And I think um, what we've managed to do is actually empower other departments. And and I would actually say our geography department, um, a huge shout out to them. They are blazing a trail at the school. They have fully embedded Oracy across their units. They have conducted research last year, which kind of helped, I, I worked with them for my MPQSL. And we were really looking at kind of monitoring progress and their kind of the impact just explicitly focusing on Oracy in the classroom, and um, the impact was just mind blowing. Um, and they were measuring at that point physical, they were looking at students eye contact, ability to use gesture, um, and, and just an intervention. And, and we created a pack of games and exercises that you could use as a starter or a plenary, um, or a brain break. And using those over a series of lessons and then taking another data capture, they were just you know blown away by kind of the impact it had. And I think this comes back to um, Amy Gaunt and Alice Dott in their book, um, The Origin Imperative, is it? I think I'll yes, stop my. Yes, that's
1: right. Yeah, a bit cloudy.
2: Sorry, um, this morning. Um, Their their kind of Venn diagram of learning to talk and learning through talk, and the oracy is that intersection. um, Has actually been our main way of embedding it in the classroom. That making it clear to students that oracy isn't just about standing up at the front um, and giving a PowerPoint presentation. um, That actually, it's very much um, about learning through talk as well. So we're trying to blend the explicit teaching of oracy skills, um, but also, and, and you know, so sorry, so that. That's kind of the talk tactics um using these rubrics making students aware of the linguistic choices they make when they speak the use of names um, when they're having a discussion that actually that respect of acknowledging other people's ideas um but also just making it clear to them that oracy isn't just a performance it's actually how they are learning that they are learning through talk and that actually by hearing other people's ideas yeah they are you know they are learning and they are also clarifying their own talk and 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 i often say you know to to math students when they kind of are asking what what's the point of this and and to some of the students i I will say but actually if you can't articulate out loud how you have come to that answer then you don't fully understand what you've done Um, and it's, and it's quite a, it's quite a fair litmus test that if you can't explain something to someone, yeah. you, you, then you discover your, your holes, don't you? you? You work out what you don't understand when you can't communicate
1: it. Yeah, I agree. And I just want to go back to something you said about the rubrics that you're using. Can you give yeah. us an example of what it is that you're exactly using? Because you mentioned the bronze, silver, and gold. How, how are you measuring the progress? Can you just explain that yeah. to us in a bit more detail, please? Yeah, absolutely.
2: So, um, Obviously, Voice 21 and Orocy and Cambridge, when they created the framework, it wasn't meant to be a, a checklist, so to speak. However, we, in our you know, in the early phase, were very clear that we needed something. Um, and we needed something for departments um, who weren't as au fait with assessing talk, as you might be in English and drama. Um, we wanted something that was um, common, that students would start to get an idea of, of sort of how they sat in different subjects, their Orocy use. So we did take the four strands of the oracy framework and almost rotated them landscape down i'm sorry and portraits down um an a4 page um but we added to them so with regards to eye contact you know that broke up into sort of slightly separate um rubrics as to how that kind of you know maintaining eye contact engaging the audience um and for each of the strands i'm just kind of looking here at at the paper example i've got in front of me and so each of the kind of the elements within one of the four strands we then almost had a couple of descriptors so we came up with descriptors and that sort of gave students a much more concrete understanding of what that element so what does rhetorical you know, techniques look like and with a few examples kind of in the rubric for them, you know, are you using, you know, rules of threes of triplets? Are you using rhetorical questions? Are you including your audience with the use of pronouns? So those are in there. So for every single strand, we then created separate descriptors for the elements within it. Um, and then made a grid. So to the right of those descriptors, you then have low bronze, high bronze, low silver, high silver, low gold, high gold. So just six columns to the right. And then, you know, initial diagnostic could be taken not just by a teacher. It could be taken as peer assessment because it's so explicit that it's actually quite easy for a student to be watching, you know, a conversation of their peers. If you put them in a trio, they're watching the other pair and they can see if there's eye contact being made. Is it is it bronze level? Is it kind of intermittent? Is it silver? It's pretty good. Or is it really really gold. Um, and then at the bottom, there's a what worked well, even better if and a room for targets for them to set their own targets or for the teacher to set targets. Now, it's quite unwieldy. And um, as you can imagine, when there's those four, um, strands and then within it they've some of them have got sort of three or four elements and then obviously we've fractured that out into two or three per element so what we've actually started doing this is what geography have done is they've just taken one bit that they want to focus on so they might have just taken from the physical strand eye contact and gesture and then they wanted from the cognitive strand you know organization of ideas and maybe from the linguistic they wanted key vocabulary relevant to the subject so all they've done is taken those four bits and created a much smaller grid that could go on the bottom of a task sheet, um, and just made it very focused, and then that's much better for peer assessment. That you know departments are just zooming in onto the core skill they want that piece of oracy to focus on. Um, you might at the end of the year use the full rubric because then you are assessing what they've kind of developed over the course of a year. But we've made it very much you can cut it up, um, but those those descriptors are key. But I am aware that um, Voice Twenty One are developing um, some rubrics at the moment for assessments, and um, they yet to be unveiled so we're quite excited when they come out Um, but for us this has just worked really well because students are able to see that progress moving right from low bronze to high gold um, and it sets targets they can see that they might be really good in the content of their talk but actually they've still just got to work on you know pace or pitch or volume um, so yeah it kind of gives gives them a, a detail that way
1: and so I'm thinking obviously disadvantaged children's spoken language development is significantly lower than their more advantaged peers and the gaps grow throughout school widening to five years difference by the age of 14. If I was to deliver a a, a high quality oracy lesson, what would that look like?
2: So I would be very much um, certainly focusing on inclusion and making sure that actually all voices have a chance to be heard. Um, And this is where we were looking at Harkness uh, higher up in the school, because Harkness is a pedagogy uh, that was developed initially in in the US. Um, and it came from Phillips Exeter, Exeter sorry, Exeter Academy, um, which is near Boston. Um, and at Phillips Exeter, Edward Hartness made a substantial um, donation to the school in the 30s, because he wanted uh, the classroom to be revolutionized. He wanted to move from rows of desks, which ironically we've returned to in COVID, um, so move out of rows of desks and put them around a single table akin to a boardroom table, um, where they would engage in dialogue um, very much like the tutorial, and supervision system of Oxford and Cambridge where you are in communion with your teacher as more of an equal rather than an instructor. So that's kind of what happened in the 30s. And we adopted that idea with our sixth form um, four years ago. And we have a couple of Harkness tables, um, one sort of big, solid Harkness table and some modular tables um, elsewhere around the school. And the idea of that is inclusion. So our students who are less confident, um, usually for the first series of lessons, listen. And, and, and Oracy is about listening as well. We mustn't forget that. Mm. Oracy is actually... Yeah communication isn't just about transmitting is it it's about receiving um, and so actually quiet students will often sit around that table for a series of lessons listening body language is very active listening we, we really promote that and because they are around a single table directly opposite their peers eye contact um, develops very rapidly as well because it's a bit awkward otherwise if you don't make eye contact um, and and through that we've noticed that students who are less confident either just emotionally socially or because of language barriers. Um, now, obviously, we are we're a selective school here in Dubai. And I don't know if your listeners are aware that all non-local schools, so non-emirati schools in Dubai, have to be private, and there is no free education for expats out here. So, it's an, it's a, it's a weird one insofar as we're an independent school, but we're not in the same sense in the UK as in everybody has to pay for their education here. Anyway, but our students, we, you know, despite being academically selective, um, and and people having to pay for their education, we do have a range of, um, you know, backgrounds. And, and there are some students who are very uh, deprived as well. And often that's kind of socially and emotionally and culturally as well. So we're very aware that, you know, the Harkness idea, Um, certainly at the top end of the school sitting students as equals the equity factor is is what i really focus on with the older students has everybody had a chance to speak has everybody contributed quiet reticent students i might actually ask them to start a discussion because then they've got their voice out onto the table without that fear of following on from somebody else Um, and and the research that i did initially on confidence uh, was at, was focusing on Harkness and what we really saw there was a student who first joined me in year 13 at the beginning of the year self-identified as pretty much mute she said I, I just don't talk um by the end of the year um, I track lessons. You're asking about um, monitoring progress, measuring progress. And um, with Harkness, I draw maps. So I track like a spider web, uh, the conversation. So you can see how many times a student has participated. We use the um, a fantastic shout out now to Equity Maps, Dave Nelson um, at Equity Maps. They have a digital app on an iPad where it literally you just tap on the person talking. It creates the spider web. It gives you the number of seconds they spoke, how many times they spoke. It generates an equity uh, percentage the lesson. It records the lesson. Um, and this app has really enabled students to to empower themselves. And this, this girl at the beginning of year 13 would rarely talk if at all. And by the end of the year, her progression, she, she cried when I interviewed them um, as part of my research at the end. And she just said, I didn't recognise myself. And she said this environment, enabled me to find my voice and, and the oh, environment was safe and I think that's kind of coming you know right back to the question you asked me about what does it you know look like in the classroom and how do we do it I think it comes down to environment and that comes down to teacher confidence and that's why we've been driving so much CPD and inset at the school that actually some of our um, some teachers and, and many teachers I would actually probably argue are very comfortable in their classroom but if you ask them to stand up and for, talk in front of the staff room um, that's terrifying so yes I of, agree <laughs> you know I'd actually to be honest, I'd rather talk to the full school in an assembly than talk to the staff room. And, 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 I, and, and when I talk to these teachers, and I say, I, I still get the panic, my hands are so clammy, when I have to stand up at staff inset, um, which I do, you know, almost termly, and yet it's still uncomfortable. But it's kind of equipping students. And I think, what does it look like in the classroom for these students who don't naturally have these skills, is I find lower down the school in key stage three, we're really focusing on pair and trio work. So building it in that sense, getting them comfortable, taking turns, teaching turn taking, using these talk tactics. Maybe if a student's really loud in a trio, I ask them to be the silent summariser of that lesson so that they have to listen. And the other two who normally sit and listen to them have to actually have a conversation. Um, And then we build that, building that from threes into sixes, up into tens. And then we're ready for the Harkness table where we seat everybody around a single single table. So that sounds great. Oh, it's fantastic. And, and to see that progression, and, and that's kind of very much what we're now driving. So we, we've at the moment, I'm about to deliver this week, day two of an a internal Harkness course, full day of staff teaching other staff as students, um, and, and just really getting the immersion of, of kind of oracy in practice. But I think, you know, in order to, to kind of get quality talk, it needs to be exploratory. And that's something, um, you, you know, I recommend people go away and read um, Neil Mercer's work on exploratory talk. There's obviously Robin Alexander's work as well um, on kind of dialogic classrooms. Um, but I think, you know, Professor Neil Mercer really kind of gets it right on the idea that talk, high-quality oracy, is exploratory. It's not a monologue. It's not lots of different ideas being thrown onto a table that have no cohesion. It's mm-hmm. not sometimes you'll see students, and this is where we get back to debate, you know, students come with pre-prepared points that they are determined to force into a conversation. And, yeah. and it's not that. It, it's got to be back to that listening and actually teaching. Students need to be taught, sorry, to how to have a conversation. And I think, you know, this is really, really important. There's a great blog by Sarah Donarski. Um, and she talks about the fact that how, you know, have we actually stopped to teach students how to have a productive group? talk you know it's very easy in the class to go right you know on your tables in fours discuss x three minutes off you go but have we actually equipped them to make sure that that talk is exploratory and productive so when i'm walking into a classroom and doing observations and wandering around the school high quality oracy is when you can see that those students are fully engaged that they are listening actively to one another. Those nonverbal cues, they're nodding, they're making eye contact, but they're listening so effectively that when they do make a point, they follow on, it's their turn, it, it's relevant. It's developing what's been said. It's adding some more detail. It's moving knowledge and learning on. That's high quality oracy. Um, and the role of the teacher can vary. It doesn't have to be 100% student talk. You know, There is very much a place in the classroom for teacher instruction. That's our role. But it's really noticeable that the classrooms where you, you walk in and you go, wow, this is impressive, is where you just see the teacher chipping in, nudging, steering, but stepping back and just giving that opportunity for students to push on their understanding. And, and all students can do that. You know, All students have an idea. And by building from small to bigger groups and up to something like harness, those students who don't have that confidence or that necessarily linguistic ability, Learn from others. They listen and they develop their skills rather than just being thrust out on their own. If that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I mean it all. It all makes sense to me because um, obviously we, uh, it, it's an area that we we're, we're having to think about in my department, for example. Um, it is something that I need to develop as well further. Um, I'm looking at the E E E F Foundation report about oral yeah. language interventions. Now they talk about things like targeted reading aloud and book discussion with young children. They talk about explicitly extending pupils' spoken vocabulary, the use of structured questioning to develop reading comprehension, and also curriculum-focused dialogue and interaction. When your departments were focusing on oracy, did you, were you, how how did you come about that? How did you develop that within the school?
2: Okay, so by, um the first couple of insects were obviously making staff familiar with the framework and, and yes, how we were looking at that to be integrated. Um, And then it was using the ORC focus group and our leads from each department to start disseminating down exactly that, examples of question stems, um, how they could be used. We really kind of shared best practice resources. So showing how you could actually set up a task. Um, What I've been trying out, for example, is rather than written um, assessments in Key Stage 3, when we've studied Shakespeare, for example, rather than having to then write an essay, which they do a lot of, Using an oral task instead, so giving them prompt questions that obviously relate to what I want to tease out, to chest, you know to check their understanding of the play, but actually using exactly as you said, you know targeted questions, um, kind of interventions that actually kind of support them and prompt them. And prompt cards we use um, right the way up into the sick form. So for Harkness, I've developed some little cards, um, you know tiny cue cards that are laminated. On one side, it'll simply say challenge. Challenge, build, link, and question. I've just done four, Um, and we play these as games. You know, in a whole class discussion, maybe they have to try and use all four different types of talk. Or if they're a student who only ever kind of you know builds, they might have to play three challenge questions that lesson. But on the back are stems. You know, scaffolding, and and this is really key down at primary level. That actually giving students you know the tools on a mat, whether it's kind of you on their desk, they've got these different talk prompts, Um, if they want. To challenge, here's some ideas, some stems to get them in. Um, but also I think embedding, you know, as the EEF has said, you know, those kind of different ways of getting students talking, and they're all fantastic ideas. And when I work with primary schools, we're looking at how you use circle time, for example. Um, it's a very common feature in the primary classroom, and it's a perfect, you know, it's like the mini harkness, they are all sitting in a circle looking at each other, and how you navigate turn-taking and listening and body language to show you're interested. Um, discussion guidelines is something as well that I think, you know, it's a teacher who is looking to really embed Oracy in the classroom, you know, set up at the beginning of the year, you know, whether you want to call them talk rules, that seems a little kind of um, draconian, but guidelines that they all agree on. So I do that by getting students to work in pairs to begin with, to come up with 10 guidelines they think are important for talk in the classroom, pair it up into fours, and then as a whole class, You know, feedback. You know, your kind of top ten, and then as a class we agree our top ten, and then they've got ownership of that. They have agreed that actually they should ask questions, that it's you know they should make eye contact, that it is important to listen. Now, you know, I am fully aware as well. You know, there is very much. I mean, you said about the guided reading. um, There's kind of a huge divide, isn't there, on Twitter about people who think about kind of this reading out (laughs) loud around the classroom and kind of eye contact for autistic students and students who have special you know educational needs for whom that is very uncomfortable so i think you know this has always got to be taken with knowing your class isn't it yeah. knowing this
1: it's about context, context yeah
2: Absolutely, an environment. If you foster a safe environment where maybe a student for whom eye contact is like the worst thing on the planet, you know, they can find other ways of kind of being able to show to somebody else that they are listening to them. So it's enabling everybody to almost develop their own skills, if that makes sense. Um, And, and, you know, the, the kind of the reading out loud, I I'm I will put myself on the side of the fence that is, yes, read out loud in the classroom. But I know that I've got an environment set up whereby that becomes less scary, I would say, for for key stage three. But also I know which students can read a really long paragraph because they're very confident readers, and which students actually might just want, you know, when you happen to have a very short paragraph coming up, you know that's the student you know, and, and I think it, it's, it's very, it's very context-based, um, and but with all of those... But
1: also, I think, Sarah, there's, there's also this element of modelling as well, though, isn't there? I mean, in order for you, in order for your students to, um, for example, if I'm a secondary, I am a secondary school teacher, when I'm um, explaining subject-specific vocab and things like that, I have to demonstrate and model to them exactly how to say the word and how to use it in a language, uh, and how to use it in a sentence and so forth so I think modeling comes into play as well
2: yes modeling and scaffolding and I I think you know but we do that and this is the thing we do that with literacy we model reading and writing you know how many times do certainly as an English teacher you know over the years I've always provided you know examples of paragraphs this is how I would model a P-E-E-P-E-A whatever you want to call it you know I would model writing But I realized very quickly four or five years ago, how often did I model explicitly talk? You know, I would model it, I would think in my own talk, but that's not necessarily making it explicit to students. Um, So 100%, like really actually showing them, you know, what is a good question? You know, which is a question that's going to open up your talk on your table? And what's a question that's going to close it down with a yes or no answer and make it quite hard? You know, how do we develop an idea? you know and 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 quite often once you see the penny drop that actually what i'm expecting them to do orally in a group discussion is no different to what they are very familiar with on paper of making a point backing it up with evidence and then exploring how that evidence really proves that point once they get that idea and it's been modelled out, you know, and it's watching examples, isn't it? It's, you know, mm. providing, a, you know, as a department recording some short examples of this is group talk. Here are some really good. And, and, you know, we do this right the way through the school. And even with the sick form in the EPQ, I deliver a session on presentation skills and you know, you'd think by then they'd be good, but they're awful. Like our sick form stand up. It's death by PowerPoint. They're reading everything that's on the screen and, and really sort of once they watch a couple of obviously not students examples but they watch some dire examples in the lecture yeah. theatre on the film, and they're all giggling away and you're like but you do realize that's what you will do you know so it's kind of once they see what not to do and it comes back to isn't it you don't know what something looks like until you see it and um, you know you might think that you're having a very you know, explorative discussion, but actually until somebody kind of either plays it back to you or or says to you, well, actually, do you realise that you didn't develop, you know, X's point, you just moved on to something new at that point. And it's those steers. Um, And that happens around the Harkness table with the sixth form. I will often pause a discussion, chip in, and just say, right, okay, we've had two, I call them handbrake moments. I'm like, we've had two handbrake moments where you and you, you just, you know, you just dumped a point on, you weren't listening to what had come before. What happened then? And they all reflect and oh, well, actually, yeah, the pace dropped and we stopped. And I was like, right. So, you know, it's new them through it, but I think, you know, modeling that comes right down to primary um, and whether it is using um, prompts and kind of cards, you know, the talk tactic um, cards that voice 21 have produced, you know, you could cut those up and use them. Um, but as you say, kind of modeling talk in the classroom as a teacher is very important and it's something most staff are comfortable to do they might not want to stand up in front of you know as i said the staff room or the whole school but you know the safety of their own room actually how are they modeling using students names varying who they talk to um, really sort of calling and and correcting with a gentle nudge something that isn't quite right um and and pronunciation as you said is key with the key vocabulary you know you we have to kind of just chip in and steer um and as an english teacher i'm very much about etymology so even with a spelling sheet um, they don't just learn 10 spellings I create a grid where they actually have to go and look up the you know the origins of the word is there a prefix or a suffix actually there that they can cross transfer um, and this is all part of that vocabulary building that when you talk about it that's then going to improve their literacy they're going to be able to recognize words then because we've talked about them. Um, so I kind of flip it that way that you know we use talk as that you know see upon which other things float or the bedrock upon which we build, whichever metaphor we want to go with. But, you know, it's really important that actually, as you say, we model, we scaffold, and then as they get more proficient, those scaffolds, we remove them. Um, And and now at this stage in the year, my year 12s, will have, you know, at least one lesson a week where I I pretty much don't talk. I set the lesson up. I sit away from the Harkness table and they will sit around the table and they've got questions to answer. They've pre-prepared the poem or the section of text we're looking at. And they just discuss and clarify and learn together and share their knowledge and understanding. And I come back in at the end. So, but that's taken, you know, years of, of modeling and, and kind of developing.
1: Sarah, I was laughing to myself when you were talking <laughs> purely because I was sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, Sarah is so brilliant. I hope she's not doing that to me, <laughs> making sure that I'm doing, developing my points clearly enough. <laughs> um,
3: not at all. Okay.
1: <laughs> uh, anyway um i was just looking at um the chartered college of teaching because obviously i when i'm doing my research i look at uh, a range of yes, sources yeah. from a, a, a range of different places Um they were talking about the different types of talk which is what you've just mentioned uh slightly earlier and they were saying that you can use rote um because you're imparting knowledge by getting students to repeat key pieces yep. of information to import uh, to impart facts ideas and routines um recitation using questions to test students knowledge and understanding to check students' progress and stimulate recall, instruction, telling students what to do and explaining key facts, principles or processes in order to transmit information, and discussion, encouraging an exchange of ideas within a class to share information, and dialogue using structured questions and discussions, helping students deepen understanding of key knowledge, principles and processes. So there are different types of talk that you can use quite um, frequently or however you want to use them in the classroom that does actually help with developing
3: oracy.
2: yes spot on and 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 the and the key thing there actually and, and we can all absolutely surely reflect on this and agree you can't talk about something if you don't know anything and yeah. that's when you have those very surface thin conversations with the class and you can quite quickly gauge if you've think you've modeled something or kind of done that rotor or instru- you know instruction at the beginning you've kind of delivered a new concept you've kind of gone through it you think it's very clear and then you say right now discuss in threes and try and answer this question and you suddenly notice how surface the discussion is that's when you realize well actually they need more knowledge they haven't actually got it yet and um, so i do think that those examples of talk um, are either you could use it as a ladder that you're starting at that beginning, you impart some knowledge, you're then as you're kind of working initially, you are checking, understanding whether it's they're actually um, retrieving and kind of giving you the facts back on a kind of a quick quiz at the beginning of a lesson. You know, the quiz doesn't have to be oral, but it could be absolutely. And then you're kind of checking that knowledge. And then you move through that to sort of the questions that are just teasing out, but really just making sure in that IRF chain, and this is again, um, I do a, a session with staff on waiting time, and actually, there is, you know, there's plenty of research out there now on IRF, so sorry, that's um, initiation, um, response and feedback, that quite often in the classroom, and I, I also catch myself at times being guilty of it, of asking a question, getting an answer, and I've almost moved on in my head, and you, and you kind of, my feedback might be at times a little kind of cheap, you know, it's kind of like, yes, great, excellent. So, and then I've moved on and I haven't really acknowledged what's gone on. But more to the point, it's been quite short that I've asked a question, a student has given me, and maybe, you know, absolutely, if you are on a kind of, you know, you simply want a factual answer, then absolutely a quick answer is fine. And yeah, excellent, does anybody disagree with them? Great, right, move on. Um, But actually really starting to look at what happens after that initial response. So once you've done your um, initiation response, The next feedback move if you actually bounce it and this is what we've been looking at with with staff that for a start you need to wait longer we are very very guilty in the classroom and and as adults generally i think of asking a question and expecting an immediate response but if you get an immediate response that response isn't going to be developed it won't necessarily be detailed and actually almost coaching students that Silence is thinking time, and this is very important when we get up to Harkness higher up the school. Being comfortable with silence, embracing silence that's when the thinking happens. So, almost lower down the school, if you're using those kind of ideas um, from the Chartered College, that actually you very much are about sort of showing and modeling that questions so that you ask a question you give time for a response. Um, and there are lots of great ideas out there. I've seen so many of them sort of, you know, through educating you know, into Twitter, um, of kind of how long you wait, or kind of I, and nobody's allowed to put their hands up for kind of however many seconds you want it to be so that everybody um, has a chance to actually think of the answer, the cold calling idea, so they don't know, you know, who's going to be um, picked on next, so to speak. Um, and everybody's got their own strategies for their classroom. But then the idea of actually bouncing it on. So your feedback, once you get a response is very much Great. And who's going to build on that? What else can we add and sort of move it on to somebody else? Um, but you know, that's very much about how you can use that kind of rote recitation instruction sort of element to then foster, because then you've modelled the skills that are of there for discussion. And it is a progression, but I would actually say certainly in my lessons, I'm probably using a combination of those different types of talk um, and, and that's very much learning through talk. That's what those different talk types are doing because then obviously you've also got other talk types that are more categorized as, I would call them task types. So whether it is pair work, group talk, solo presentation, public speaking, debate, discussion, Harkness, you know, those are more sort of the mode, um, but actually the the learning side of it, yes, absolutely, you know, use that as a ladder um, and then kind of build or, or hop about between, you know, break it up if they've been discussing something for a while, go into short, quick kind of recall and wrote and sort of have they got knowledge and then kind of go back.
1: Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for that. Um, Now, we've talked a lot about oracy within the classroom. One of the things that I've been thinking a lot about is how do we develop those crucial oracy skills for public speaking and debate? What have you been doing in your school to um, really get our students, well, your students um, motivated in debating? um, You know, have you done public speaking and debate?
2: yeah so we were we're in a fortunate position that actually you know debating is has always been huge in the school so we have um a full junior middle school and senior debate teams we have students you know they compete locally um they compete internationally you know they've won COBIS we've got some who represent the UAE so you know we've always had we're very lucky that there is a a, a very strong debate programme in the school, but that's always been separate. It's always been isolated on its own. But therefore the students who kind of sign up to that are self-motivated, self-promoting. Those are the students who want to engage. So what we've now tried to do is to make sure that that culture of debate um, actually comes into classrooms. And so to do that, we have the the two staff members, um, Louise and Matthew, who are fantastic. They've actually looked, you know, they've run some lunchtime talks for staff about how you can get debate into your classroom. Um, We now have something called um, the Rolling Pastoral positive sorry education program which is where we've looked to put our pastoral sex ed social um, education program out of form time and it rolls through every single week moving on a period so it might be monday period one the next week is monday period two period three and so as a whole school we are doing that at the same time each week and within that program alongside relationships and you know the the other very important and lessons that they have to have we've integrated into their introduction to oracy so that all of year seven and eight get a, a lesson on the framework, on the talk tactics. So this is sort of my way of making sure that every student, you know, regardless of who teaches them and whether, because our department's divided into half, half RSE, half science of learning, some departments aren't focusing on RSE at the moment. So to guarantee that they're getting it, we've put that in, but we've put debate in as well. So in year nine, we have a, an introduction to debate unit that every member of year nine will have access to. And, and by doing that, Um, we're kind of getting those students who wouldn't put themselves forward get that chance um, to actually stand up um, and have a go within a classroom that's slightly safer environment but interestingly i do I, i gave a talk to parents only a couple of weeks ago and i did preface my talk by saying that i was talking to them that night about oracy in the classroom and not debate because debate is very competitive it's combative and we actually find that students who are very strong debaters obviously then aren't actually very good at exploratory talk discussions because they they want to win (laughs) their view is right um and and that's kind of one of my first guidelines when we sit down around the Harkness table of this is collaborative this is cooperative Mm -hmm. this is not You know a competition this is not a combat you are not trying to win this discussion you are trying to modify and modulate your own ideas and listen to others and you might agree to disagree but that's where we're going so debate
1: It's interesting you've said that. Sorry, Sarah, to interrupt. It's interesting you've said that, because obviously, um, when I'm reading newspapers, and looking back at history, Obama was considered to be a very, very good speaker, so a great orator, but was useless at debate. So it, it does make perfect sense to me that they are two separate things, uh, and I'm glad I'm glad that you've made the distinction that yeah, they are they are very they are
2: separate. different. And, and students who are good at debating um, are often good at debating. Yes, they've got the you know the rhetoric, the confidence, the the eye contact, and those are all very important for public speaking, hundred percent, because it is a performance. But what they're often less good at is the listening side of it. Yes, they're very good at hearing the opposition's argument to make their rebuttal, to kind of adjust their, their points and kind of be ready for that. But it's controlled. They are in control of exactly where they're going with their material. The beauty of exploratory talk in the classroom is that you don't know where it's going because it's not a pre-agreed argument, if that makes sense. Um, so, you know, that I think is an important and, and, and it's impressive, actually, to watch students learn to switch you know, we talk about code switching in linguistics, don't we, that actually people modify their use of language, um, the formality, you know, whether they're, you know, they they kind of change their accents as well, which we haven't touched on that, sorry. Um, But the the point, and I think this is a really important point with students, um, and when I was doing the Speaking Citizens Conference, um, we we kind of did touch there about sort of the idea that oracy has to be RP, standard English, there is a correct way of speaking and I think we need to be very careful when we're trying to encourage students from very different backgrounds, from as you say different deprivation levels, from um, English as a second language, that actually getting them talking is the priority. Getting them talking and being able to be understood is important, we're not talking about the fact they have to sound like everybody else, then we'd be robots. Um, And I think it is important um, from a diversity point as well to embrace accent, to embrace dialect, um, to really kind of champion and promote. And and often that's why students are quiet because if their voice doesn't sound like other people in the classroom, they're often worried that you know they are going to mispronounce something, but mispronounce something is just their view in their head. They're just saying it in their own accent, and, and that that's still correct. And I think we do have to be slightly cautious that yes, we need to teach them how to be clear that their pace and their enunciation needs to be there so that their communication is effective. But I don't think we should be moulding them into a. This is the way to talk, um, and, and I am conscious of that as someone who has a very close to RP, you know voice if that makes sense. and um, my northern accent growing up in Bolton has um, gone. <laughs> there, there are very few flat vowel sounds now occasionally, but very few. Um, but but that's I, you know, I was coached out of it almost. And I look back now and think, but that was my identity. Yeah. And I, I lost it. and um, so I think we need to be careful there. But public speaking wise I think this does start in the classroom. Um, I think it it is important that students become comfortable with standing up in front of their peers. So we, in English, for example, in the first term, we do a unit on autobiography. That's their first introductory unit in English, Um, and this is great. We look at um, other people's writing, we look at autobiographies, but then we're looking at them as well. And we do a mini "This is Your Life." So they interview each other in pairs, and then they stand up and they have to give no more than two to three minutes. You know, "This is Your Life" of their partner. So they are introduced introducing their partner to us Um, and that happens within the first few weeks Um, it is very scary for them they have to stand up but it is just in front of their tutor group that they're they're taught in tutor groups so it's just in front of their tutor group so it's a great getting to know you exercise but there is a fear factor there and so we kind of throw them in slightly in that deep end but it's material that they're comfortable with because they've interviewed their partner Um, but then it's very much about fostering the skills within the classroom and then in year eight, our head of year eight has done a fantastic initiative this year, and um, it's a sort of form of Oracy Assembly, but every single week, and um, I think she chooses a third of a tutor group, so it's rolled throughout the whole year, they do a passion speech, and they have to do it in front of the whole year group. And you've made that transition then from class to year group, and then as they move into years nine and 10, we have public speaking in the house system, so they can put themselves forward and it's not for every student so that's when it does become, a, you know, we are sensitive to who this is deeply uncomfortable for and, and who kind of is very confident, but they have those opportunities, um, we do a form of um, TED youth. And we had, that was during Orocy month. Um, So sorry, that's a great way to get Orocy going. We had an Orocy month in November, which tied into the I Can Charities No Pens Wednesday. And on that day, we had Speaker's Corner in, in different areas of the school, literally a soapbox. And students had you know no more than two minutes to stand on their soapbox and talk about whatever they wanted to. <laughs> um, and it was great. We had rants about all sorts of things. We had some very <laughs> informative talks about all things. And then we had rants about, you know, the canteen and uh, and kind of. And, and it was just brilliant, you know, to have that informal but still very public speaking, um, and that evening on No Pens Day rounded off with our, our version of um, TED Youth. So we had ten students who had auditioned. Uh, we kind of there was a rolling, and it was all student run, student led. I think about fifty had auditioned, and ten were selected, and they gave a no notes, um, five to eight minute talk. Um, And it was just amazing. Um, And I think it's just providing opportunities. So when we go back to how do we build the skills for public speaking and debate, I think it starts in the classroom. Um, It's using the framework within just normal lesson tasks. So when they're learning through talk to explore Cognitive elements. How do you put together your points? What kind of information do you need? Um, And then kind of adding the linguistic elements level of kind of register and unpicking registers hard for them. You know, we're talking about formality, about the words you choose, depending on your audience. Um, looking at those physical eye contact gesture skills when they're giving just presentations in the class. But that's building the skill bank for when they do need to stand up. And we've also, um, I have another role in, in the school as a competitive universities coordinator. So I, I support students um, applying to Oxford and Cambridge and to Imperial and UCL. And these universities are interviewing students. Um, and, and we get to that point in the sixth form where they've almost lost that ability to talk on the spot. Um, yeah. and, and that form of public speaking isn't it you're being interviewed um and so for us it's it's we've got an eye on that as well you know our our job at a school is is not only to you know create these well Balance, we would hope individuals who have knowledge, have a love of learning for life, are confident, good human beings who will listen with respect to one another. But we are acutely aware that we need to help our students access their aspirations. You know, if they want to go to these great universities, how do we help them so that in that one on one situation, they have a confidence and and that's because in class they've had these opportunities to have to explain their thinking to work with other people to listen and respond on the spot to an idea rather than pre-preparing so we kind of you know i've talked in circles there but no 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 i
1: understand clearly you've i mean sorry to interrupt you you've you've mentioned a lot of things that I you know I was expecting you to as well and I've learned so much from you today that I'm going to go away and take back some ideas to my own school as well I mean obviously children with poor verbal communication skills are less likely to find employment um, and they're more likely to suffer from mental health difficulties so the fact that you are helping them with employment opportunities as well is absolutely fantastic um and it you know we we also know that children children who experience difficulties with speaking and understanding are over four times less likely to pass GCSEs in maths and English as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And research has shown that on average pupils who take part in spoken language interventions make approximately five months of additional progress over a year, with some studies showing that progress of up to six months for pupils from economically disadvantaged backgrounds. So everything you're doing, I mean, I'm, I'm in awe. I think it's fantastic, all the things that you've spoken about today. Do you, do you feel there are any barriers um and how can teachers and schools overcome these barriers with regards to oracy development
2: yeah i think there are barriers and often you know unsurprisingly it's mindset isn't it i think we have um i think there's there's often a lot of projection isn't there i think if parents you know historically have been uncomfortable talking and and it's when you hear you know well i'm i'm very shy you know and she's very shy it's the labeling and i think you know, not everybody is a gregarious talker. That's not a problem. That's not what Oracy is about. We're not thrusting them literally if they want to, they can stand in the center of a stage with a spotlight on them, but that's that's not what we're trying to do. And I think that's what we've really worked on with year seven through the Rolling Pastoral program that actually we, you know, have that opportunity. I, I run the year seven introduction to RC unit And it is very much just sort of breaking down that mindset that actually the barrier can often be themselves. And it's not a criticism. It's just maybe they've come through primary school and never been asked to talk or made to talk. Um, but also just showing them the benefits. And as you've just said there, the learning jump that comes from, you know, really focusing on Oracy, and, and obviously Cambridge have you know, done a lot of work um, and, and uh, you know, with, with Warwick and with the EEF, sort of showing that cognitive shift that comes through Oracy interventions in primary schools. And, and our own researchers back that up, you know, with, within our school. So we are a research-led informed school. It's kind of a, mm. a thing we're very clear about. And so, you know, the work that the geography department and I did last year, not only did you have that physical change going on, but they've continued that research within a department and they've been looking at GCSE and actually the use of correct terminology and vocabulary and argumentation that's come into the written work as a result of explicit oracy teaching, learning to talk as well as learning through talk. Um, but yeah, this the, the barriers kind of are partly, you know, a confidence. So how do we build confidence in the classroom? Again, it's the learning environment, it's modelling, it's scaffolding, it's giving them those opportunities to kind of have the safe paired trio work before building that into a slightly larger group and scaffolding it up. But barriers also come from staff buy-in, you know, and, and, and perhaps it sounded, I you know, delicate to my college that, you know, everybody's doing this. Well, no, not everybody's doing this. You know, let's be realistic. Some staff buy-in more than others. If it's an area they are comfortable with and that they naturally would lean to you know the humanities staff have found it much easier to embed oracy it's something that is more naturally visible in their classroom anyway they are more discursive and more dialogic Um, but working with the science and maths departments has been a harder journey you know the barriers are um you know sometimes again it's their perception it's their kind of um own projections of kind of awkwardness on on kind of talking um but also and i think a key barrier that we we cannot you know get away from in the secondary in key stage four and key stage five is is syllabus content you know we we it, again one of the key barriers i've had and um, with harkness and getting that going and it's a fair comment is we have got to get through this amount of material how on earth do we allow students to just talk for 30 to 40 minutes that's 30 to 40 minutes where we need instruction time we can't be doing that every lesson and you know absolutely in english it is much easier to have a dialogue for 30 to 40 minutes on a scene of a play because that actually is your coverage of that scene and you're moving on anyway so for for kind of dealing with that and for for anybody who's listening who's thinking this sounds great but time when do we have the time for this Um, my view is very much just look look again at kind of your lesson structures. You know, where are you using classroom talk in a lesson? How can you just enhance that slightly by tweaking a resource that makes the how to talk as explicit as the learning through talk? How can you actually just, you know, find ways of shifting? And as I said earlier, shifting a written assessment to actually an oral assessment. We've really, since the lockdown and having to shift online for, for a while, know, really started now coming out the other side to harness, you know, the use of voice recorder on devices that students can actually record sitting in their own bedroom at home as their homework, they can record a submission and just upload an audio file, which takes no longer to listen to as you would to mark their written work. In fact, arguably, it's quicker. Um, So we're looking at kind of ways of building it in where it's not kind of going to, to detract from content which does become and this is the sad fact isn't it that the education system is so examination terminal assessment focused um but we've you know really tried to just get the barriers of time higher up the school um, by looking at ways that staff could use it simply as a summative tool if they've been looking at a unit then at the end of the unit they have a discussion a more formal harkness discussion sorry um but also just ways of doing 10 minutes of talk within a lesson you know going back to those eef um suggestions sorry it was the um college of college wasn't it the suggestions for yeah. rote restoration instruction um you know looking at ways of just bedding those in so that the subject content is still being covered but you're enabling it to do it through talk so you know the barriers of of time of kind of student mindset of um you know staff kind of attitude you know we've, we've kind of overcome by by having an RSC lead in each department that's helped as well because they can kind of reinforce what i've been trying to do centrally Um, but then also there's parents and parental attitudes. Um, so, you know, as I said, I spoke to parents a couple of weeks ago and just outlined to them, you know, what we've done so far, what this is looking like in the classroom, why we're doing it. And we're not just doing it because we think we should be doing it. This is the evidence. This is the research externally. This is the research internally. This is the impact. This is how we are training staff. And I think that's, you know, the other side as well. Staff have to be supported, um, rather than just told to go and do something. And so we've looked at our staff CPD. So rather than you know sitting as a whole staff from after school in a lecture theatre having an inset, which we've done for so many years, we've now created. Um, so myself as the SLE for Oracy and Laura is the SLE for Science of Learning, under the kind of support and, and kind of guidance of our deputy head, of Learning and Teaching, Dee Siran, we've correct you know we've used a platform called LearnEd, and Laura and I created a six module course that our staff have self-directed themselves through this year so rather than having mass inset that inset hour has been they could use that time then to do a module of the, the platform or they could do it in their own time at a more convenient time so we've brought in flexibility to try and support staff that this is where we want to go this is why we're doing it and this is how we're helping you on that journey because they need to be upskilled and that's another barrier that if, if staff don't feel they are skilled or prepared or ready or have these resources on tap and um, then you know you're asking a lot of their planning and preparation time as well so those kind of barriers you know we've we've addressed in a as good a way as I think we can. Um, But, you know, we mustn't lose sight of the fact that some children are deeply uncomfortable um, standing up in public. So for them, it is a journey that we need to help them and guide them um, and to become more confident on their terms, I think.
1: Sarah, thank you so much. I've learned so much from you today and I'm pretty sure our listeners have learned a lot as well. I'd love to have you come, uh, come back on sometime and go into um, another area related to Oracy because I, I just think that you've been absolutely wonderful this morning. Thank you so much. Oh, that's so sweet of you. And
2: like, genuinely, it's my pleasure. I mean, as you can, you know, you can probably tell, it's just something that I think is important. I just feel that, you know, students need to be empowered. and, And in this day and age, they need to, you know, champion themselves and their own identity and be proud and confident to be loud about that when
1: they want to. Yeah, and the fact that they've got someone like you behind them is absolutely fantastic because your your passion comes through when you're talking and it's so clear and evident to see um, everything that you've learned being used, you know, clearly in your school, using the case studies and the things that you've gone through today. Fantastic work. Well done, Sarah.
2: Oh, thank you. And yeah, thank you so much for having me. And, you know, I'd be loved to come back and talk about something else.
1: Brilliant. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye bye. Um, we're heading over to the news and we'll be back after this.
0: This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too, through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles, and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.withaslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Imagine a world where you were free to focus on sparking curiosity in your students and giving them access to the awe and wonder of learning. A world where you were supported to deliver a truly personalised education to help all your learners achieve their potential. No need to imagine it, because that's exactly what the Oxford Smart Curriculum Service delivers. Seamlessly integrating curriculum, resources, assessment, next steps and professional development
4: If
1: you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common, a passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are With Group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers,
3: and be part of our future.
0: This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox.
3: 85% of Scots back a ban on smoking outside schools in a bid to protect children's health The survey is found. The Glasgow Times reports on the results of a survey by charity Asthma and Love UK. The Scotland survey asked 1,000 adults in Scotland with almost 9 in 10 wanting smoking prohibited outside of the school gates. The charity is pressing the Scottish Government to follow the example set by Wales in March 2021. Forbid smoking around playgrounds, schools and other locations used by children. The Scottish Government spokesman said they would consider proposals and agreed with findings that secondhand smoke was more dangerous to children. A number of MSPs have come out in favour of abandoned smoking near places used by children. Noise pollution near schools could be helpful to people's concentration and working memory according to new research. A study completed in Barcelona over 15 months between 2012 and 2013. Appears to conclude that exposure to road traffic noise at school was associated with slower development of working memory and attentiveness in pupils. The Evening Standard reports on the findings and suggests that environmental noise policies be put in place to protect schools from noise pollution. Professor Trevor Cox of the Science and Media Centre said that the fact that road traffic noise harms health and well-being is not talked about often enough. In Northern Ireland, people from Brooklyn Primary School received some royal messages as part of the celebration for the Jubilee. Jane Judy Dent appears on a video posted on the school website, while Sir David Jason sent a letter which was read out on the same video. In Dubai, Jennings Education has launched a new scholarship programme in celebration of Queen Elizabeth II's Platinum Jubilee. A total of 70 scholarships will be awarded, to each covering the full cost of a year's tuition fee to students across 43 gems. Schools. GEMS Education is the UAE's oldest and largest school operator. New post Brexit visa scheme, launched this week between the best graduates from the top 50 non-British universities who like to live in the UK, has been criticised for not including those from African or Caribbean countries. The most recent list of eligible universities is from 2021. The ranking system used to define which is a top university includes the number of alumni who are Nobel laureates. Critics say this ignores the qualities and skills of graduates from nations within Africa. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio weekend news with Joe Fox.
0: This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your Tech Briefing on Teachers Talk Radio.
4: Hello! This week I'm going to talk about spreadsheet modelling. Spreadsheets are Marmite. You either love them or you hate them. This week I hope to help you see a reason to include them in your next lesson or even to spice up a form time. What is technology? It's anything that helps us in life. For example, scissors, cutlery, even paper straw. Let's take a look at the good old paper straw. Build as an environmental hero, it's time for the spreadsheet to model some facts about paper straws. Before I begin, I totally get the paper straws are better for the environment than plastic. This episode's about looking deeper into topics at pace using the all-powerful spreadsheet to provide high-speed and sometimes complex calculations. With a trusty search engine by my side, here I go into what is the true cost of a paper straw okay the first answer to produce a paper straw costs a penny now how about how many paper straws are used in a year the us use five million per day europe a mere seven million per day how many trees is that right a typical straw weighs 1.1 grams so times seven million is seven million seven hundred thousand grams divided by a thousand is seven thousand seven hundred kilograms divided by a thousand again is seven point seven tons back to the search engine It takes 24 trees to make one tonne of paper, so 185 trees rounded to the nearest tree. It takes 8 trees to provide enough oxygen for one person for a year. So each day we kill enough trees to keep 23 people alive for a year for the sake of a paper straw. Let's take a quick step back. 185 trees per day times 365 days is 67,452 trees per year. That can keep 8,431 people alive. In a densely packed forest, that's around one kilometer square of trees. It takes, on average, fifteen years for a tree to grow to be used for paper. People of Europe are spending twenty-seven million eight hundred thirty thousand per year on paper straws. That's seventy-six thousand two hundred forty-six pounds a day. If you're listening to this on Friday, since Monday, nine hundred twenty-five trees have been used for a one-use purpose. Now, with the power of the mighty spreadsheet and a few questions, I'll be leaving that straw behind and drinking from the cup you want to add to my argument or even challenge it want to get in touch on the tt radio 2022 twitter feed follow us and tell us what you want to know about tech i'm steve woods and that was two minute tech two minute tech
0: with steve woods your tech briefing on teachers talk radio
1: Right, welcome back. Wasn't Sarah fantastic? I mean, I almost lost my speaking ability there, but she was absolutely superb. I'm going to get her to come back on sometime as well, because I really liked um, listening to her about oracy. And I do think it's a very, very important thing that we need to think about uh, in schools. So um, I was doing some uh, other business research uh, and I came across uh, real business news and I thought this was uh, fantastic information. They were comparing Obama versus Thatcher in public speaking lessons and who the best uh, orators in the world are. So would the oratory skills of Winston Churchill beat the eloquence of Oprah? And could Martin Luther King outwit Margaret Thatcher? Or would Amelia Earhart JFK or Barack Obama take the crown. So we're looking at different types of uh, orators and speakers. So Winston Churchill is first up, and he obviously um, came into politics, and he was a conservative prime minister from 1940 to 1945, and from 1951 to 1955. And he was famed for leading Britain to victory in the Second World War, somebody who Boris Johnson (laughs) aspires to be. And one of his speeches was, never give in, never, 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 never in nothing, great or small, large or petty, never giving expect except to convictions of honor and good sense, and his famous speech was, "We shall fight on the beaches um and if we look at the overall speech rating, it's ninety um which means that he um was very good at public speaking, and he his top tips well, top tips given are that he used to practice a lot. So Winston Churchill worked hard on his public speaking, mastering his craft and refining his knowledge throughout his lifetime. And he drafted many revisions of each speech and he usually took six to eight hours per 40 minutes of speech. So if you do want to speak like Winston Churchill, um, you the best thing to do is to re- write your speech out in full um, and type them into smaller pieces of paper, uh, and then deliver them the best way that you think you can. Um, include stage directions in your own speech notes so that you have a well rehearsed speech appearing more off the cuff. Uh, for those of you who don't want to sound like you're reading of something. <laughs> the next facet is Martin Luther King. And uh, Martin Luther King uh, led the US civil rights movement from 1954. And he, he believed in nonviolence and civil disobedience. As you all know history, he won the Nobel Peace Prize um, for combating racial inequality in 1964. And his famous speech was, I have a dream. And quote from there is darkness cannot drive out darkness only light can do that hate cannot drive out hate only love can do that and if you're looking for great public speaking lessons from Martin Luther King he used vibrant vivid language to paint an idyllic image of the future so make sure that you have got data for your arguments make sure you finish with a clear call to action that inspires listeners to act Um, and the way that you you can do that is to follow what Martin Luther King did. He drafted and redrafted his speeches as well. He wrote an outline, then he edited full-length speeches, and before he actually did his speech, he actually used it um, with his advisor, and he he was told by his advisor not many people know this he was actually told by his advisor not to talk about i have a dream because it's too cliched and he'd already used it too too many times um already so that's quite interesting to know that that he was told not to do that um and leave room to improvise so don't 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 feel that you have to read on script, you can improvise if you want to, and trust your own thoughts and experiences, because that will make you more convincing and people will understand what you're saying more clearly. John F. Kennedy graduated from Harvard in 1940 before joining the US Navy Reserves. He was the 35th President of the United States, and he served in the height of the Cold War and managed relationships uh, with relations the with Soviet Union. And his famous speech was the inaugural address. And he says, let every nation know, whether it wishes us well or ill, that we shall pay and price, spare any burden, meet any hardship, support, and f- any friend, oppose any foe to ensure the survival and success of li- liberty Um, Now, his public speaking lessons, uh, he used a lot of body language, so he presented himself as warm and accessible, strong and determined, making sure he was planting his feet uh, to show confidence, and he used a conversational tone to engage his audience. Um, And there are loads of different speeches that you can look back to and listen to, uh, to find uh, inspiration, Um, use the people around you to support and guide you as well, and Kennedy also understood that television was developing so his speeches were more visible than other presidents because obviously he was about to go live uh, on air uh, and therefore he would have had to know how to um be speaking in front of people physically as well okay so we've also got amelia earhart now she um she was um the 16th US woman to be issued a pilot's license and the first female aviator to fly solo across the Atlantic Ocean. Um, And her favorite, her famous speech was a woman's place in science. And as so often happens, in introducing the new or changing the old public acceptance depends peculiarly on women's friendly attitude so her her favorites her famous speech was a woman's place in science so basically speaking with love and passion on your chosen subject Um so she shared her love of science and flying with her audience and her passion was her key criteria key criteria in exceptional speech delivery Um, so let that radiate through your choice of language and delivery and she also thought about the words that she was using and the impact of those words and she was also trying to paint a picture that everyone could relate to as well and I think um, the most famous orator in the world is Barack Obama. And he was the 44th president of the United States from 2008 to 2017. He basically introduced lots of landmark bills and his famous speech was in 2008, which was the election victory speech. And a quote from that speech that's very well known is that there's not a liberal America and a conservative America, there's the United States of America. And prior to becoming the president, Obama would jot down ideas in the men's bathroom uh, or if he was driving and he would fit his speech writing around his job. And due to his busy schedule, he would often stay up late, penning his speeches, preferring to write his ideas by hand and then typing them up on his laptop. And with Obama, he really had a strong opening. He also made sure that he was a conversational speaker and he was connecting with the audience. So don't don't be afraid to add elements of humour through riskier jokes and observation, alter the volume and pace of your speech and take pauses to add emphasis to your key points. So I think I can take some tips from this actually. <laughs> um, and we've also got Margaret Thatcher. Margaret Thatcher trained as a barrister before becoming an MP, I didn't know that, um, in 1959. And she was appointed Secretary of State for Education and Science before becoming the first female UK Prime Minister from 79 to 1990. And her famous speech was Britain Awake speech. To those waiting with bated breath for that favourite media catchphrase, the U-turn, I have only one thing to say, you turn if you want to the ladies not for turning <laughs> so she was clearly uh, somebody who was very authoritative she was establishing her tone so when delivering her speeches margaret thatcher took a strong and assertive tone delivering her message with confidence and authority she was showing personal strength in her speaking so you need to make sure that if you do want to speak like margaret thatcher you work on a delivery that's authentic and intimate interjecting your personality into the speech where possible and um, making sure you create and project your image she was very good at making sure that she was lowering the tone of her voice uh, i think that's because i think she was told and if i remember from cr- memory correctly that she needed to lower her voice because there's this thing about men only understanding in dulcet tones <laughs> I think that's correct. I'm going to have to check that up, but I think that was correct. So she to lower the tone of her voice, to speak more slowly and to move closer to the microphone to make the delivery more intimate. Um, she also visited Laurence Olivier to help projecting personality into her speeches. And it said that she drank warm water with lemon and honey to lower her pitch and remove the strain from her voice. That's actually a good tip for all teachers, lemon and honey in warm water to help you from straining your voice and in each of her speeches Thatcher was told to be herself and focus on authenticity and making sure that she was staying true to herself and using her personality to the best of her ability and then we've got Oprah Winfrey And Oprah Winfrey, um, obviously, was co-anchoring the local evening news, and she then started her own show from 1986 to 2011. And her famous speech was at the Golden Globes' 2018 speech, and she said, For too long, women have not been heard or believed if they dare to speak their truth to the power of those men, but their time is up. Their time is up. Their time is up. Well, it's 2021, is it? (laughs) 2022. So, public speaking lessons from Oprah Winfrey. Um, Make sure you keep a glass of water on hand. She uh, admitted that her Golden Globe speech was nerve wracking and in an interview with people magazine she said i must have been more nervous than i thought because i've never had a dry mouth before and in the middle of the speech she said i can't move my gums she started to articulate because she was trying to get over her gums um so keeping water near you while you speak is important and making sure you pause and take sips of water um when the symptoms present themselves um one thing i really like about oprah because i still listen to uh, some of her shows is that she often uses her own personal stories to connect with her audience and create a picture of the future that inspires her listeners so um yeah those are all different orators public speakers uh, and those are the tips and strategies that they use to make sure that they are speaking eloquently and are they are heard properly as well Right, um, it's going to be a busy half term, uh, again. Um, it's the summer term. It's a uh, it's a long one, and also, um, where I've been saying this for ages, but we keep getting told that we're due and offsted, and I'm not sure why offsted are coming in <laughs> under the circumstances that we've been through this year. So, final session of exams left to go. Um, and that's it for me. I'm not going to be in public as much, because I've got lots of work to do. But please do carry on sending me your messages. I do read messages messages that I receive on Twitter. I do receive messages on LinkedIn, um, do read messages that I receive on LinkedIn, and um, please just keep sending them in. And the comments that you, you send me keep me going as well. So thank you very much. I will see you in two weeks time.